0: You can support this podcast at patreon.com
1: slash partners in crime media.
0: Miss Jones Baking Company is proud to present the world's first line of microwavable organic desserts in a cup. Just add water and microwave for 30 seconds to get a fresh baked cake that's less than 200 calories. Or try their award-winning fudgy brownie in a cup. And make a warm brownie sundae in less than a minute. Ready to taste the magic? Use code CRIME CRIME. at missjones.co to get two free desserts in a cup with any online purchase. Hey Kevin. Yes, Rebecca.
2: Wouldn't you suggest that our listeners subscribe to Stitcher Premium?
0: I would Why? for many reasons. Why? Well, let's see. You can get our exclusive Stitcher Premium podcast Married with Podcast. Mm-hmm. You can get episodes of These Are Their Stories, the Law and Order Podcast, A Week Early and Commercial Free. Mm-hmm. Plus, you'll have access to a ton of exclusive podcasts from all of your best and favorite podcasters. Comedy Bang Bang mm-hmm. has one. Yep. And Katie Couric. Yeah, there's just like a lot of great stuff It's that it, it, you just can't get anywhere else. You can't just, you know, go online and find these things. You have to be a member.
2: That's right. So go to stitcherpremium.com slash crime and use the code crime, crime and you can get a free month of Stitcher Premium. You can check out our exclusive Stitcher Premium show, Married With Podcast, and you get a whole lot of other Stitcher Premium content. Once again, go to stitcherpremium.com slash crime and use the code Crime, Crime at checkout. <laughs> I'm Rebecca Lavoie and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about true crime, pop culture, TV, journalism, and this week, a double bill review. We'll talk about the triumphant return of Slowburn from Slate. We'll also dig into an ambitious new take on the deep catalog of writing by Stephen King. That's Castle Rock on Hulu. Joining me to get that done and a whole lot more is my true crime co-author, real-life husband, and the Cujo to my Carrie, Kevin Flynn. Hello,
0: Kevin. Hey, now, that's not nice. (laughs) (laughs) At
2: least
0: you didn't call me the John Travolta to your Carrie. (laughs) In that bucket.
2: <laughs> also with us is true crime author, journalist, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, and certified cat lady, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura.
3: Hello. Uh, speaking of Stephen King, I received word late last night, he finally found a home. Yay. So oh, that's the exciting. cat. That's, it is the very cat. exciting. Congratulations, yep. Stephen King the cat. He had more in common with his namesake than I can tell you.
0: <laughs> you mean big balls?
3: No. He's scary. No, he liked to attack other cats.
0: Oh. Ooh, yeah cats eye
3: so he was like that yeah. cat from pet cemetery he was sometimes that <laughs> yeah. is better he, he tried to go through some <laughs> screens to get at another cat and i was like oh that's not good that's not good stephen <laughs> and finally with us our resident cynical
2: steve the brilliant novelist behind the vaults invisible streets and scorched city also known as the city trilogy and the fearless host of our patreon exclusive book club podcast Toby Ball, good evening, Toby.
4: Bonjour. All
2: right, Kevin. I, I want to kick off the show tonight uh, with one of these, please. True, True
0: Crime, Crime Podcast, Podcast and, and, shameless, and plug shameless Plug Update. update.
2: <laughs> All right, full transparency. And those of you who are listening, who are in our Facebook discussion group, uh, saw a post about this a few days ago. Um, you may remember that about a year to a year and a half ago, it was about a year ago. Uh, one of my colleagues from New Hampshire Public Radio, Jason Moon, was our guest on the podcast, and he talked about a famous unsolved case here in New Hampshire called the Bear Brook Murders, in which uh, two sets of two bodies were discovered in two barrels in the woods 15 years apart. One barrel was discovered in 1985, and the other one discovered in the year 2000, approximately. And um, there had been a huge break in the case using some new forensic science And interestingly, that same forensic science, the familial DNA that identified uh, some characters in this case is the same science that then, after this case, helped crack the Golden State killer case. The reason I bring this up is because at the time we said that Jason was working on a podcast about this story, and that podcast is about to be born. So I am asking you, Crime Writers on Listeners, Go to your favorite podcast app. If it's Apple, please do that because then we'll get credit for the uh, <laughs> the uh, ratings and review mm-hmm. situation. Uh, look for the trailer for the podcast Bear Brook. Download it and subscribe. For free. Um, it, I promise the podcast will be good but also you'll be doing me a huge uh, favor because it's a shameless plug, a place that I work during the day and I'm not personally working on this podcast too much. I'm part of the editing team, but um, I, man, it would really be cool if the Crime Writers On crowd came Did out. Any
0: good people on that podcast? Uh,
2: on episode two, there might be a voice you recognize.
0: Is it the biggest, most famous cold case in New Hampshire, the pocket case? I think, I, I think up until yours.
2: <laughs> That's right. My very own podcast and real life husband, Kevin Flynn, makes an appearance. Bear Brook.
0: Mm. Yes. Well, at least <laughs> wow. in the rough cut.
2: <laughs> in a rough cut. Let's let's hope you make the final cut, shall we? Uh, every time it gets
0: a <laughs> little less, little less, little less.
2: <laughs> All right. Um, Kevin, now that we've gone through the shameless plug part of the show, can you please read this for me?
0: True, True Crime, Crime Podcast, Podcast Update. update. Yeah.
2: All right, Kevin. So there's a new development in the ongoing case of Ian Bailey and Sophie Tuscan Duplantier. That, of course, is the suspect and the victim from the podcast we reviewed when it came out called West Cork. Uh, Irish authorities have issued a new report on the case. What does it say?
0: Oh, this is a report that came from the ombudsman of the Garda. That's the police department mm-hmm. in Ireland. And they were looking at a lot of the mistakes that were made in the investigation. There's evidence that has kind of just gone missing, hmm. like the, um, like the gate, the, the you know the bloody gate where the body was found, like
2: the actual physical the gate.
0: Phys- yeah, it wasn't preserved. It, you know, it was taken in, and nobody knows it's where like it that is. Known. Piece of
2: the wall in the RFK case, right, right.
0: <laughs> and you remember there were a couple episodes that talked about the missteps of the police. And Ian Bailey, who is the main suspect, accused the Garda of corruption and trying yeah. to frame him. So the Garda's ombudsman did an investigation and issued a report basically blaming a lack of administration and management on these problems and not corruption, not police misconduct, um, not any sort of other nefarious means, just basically being incompetent as opposed to being evil now it's sort of a win and a loss for Ian Bailey who is still like you know trying to win his good name back in Ireland it it could have been more of a vindication because you know they have been accusing the Garda of corruption and trying to frame him Mm -hmm. Uh, but it didn't go that far it didn't uh, put any shed any more light on on Bailey's innocence or guilt but that was the report now meantime is you know that they are still going to be having a trial in France about this, and he's going to face trial there. Uh, but whatever happened as far as like any police misconduct by the Irish, uh, that is not likely to be entered into evidence in the French proceedings. Right. for how, forever they run it.
2: Right. I don't think Ian Bailey's ever going to win his "quote unquote" good name back in Ireland. No.
0: No, <laughs> no but there were. Remember, there was these civil cases, right? Too where and he he sued and the government the police department got to counter sue right and and he ended up losing right you know
2: don't you remember laura we, we talked about west cork we kept getting all those tweets people saying that ian bailey is like the oj simpson of ireland
3: yes yeah he's that, <laughs> i don't know i mean he's kind of a creepy guy but um seems like this is dragging on and on um so it, it is it's uh groundhog day here a little bit He's doing a good job keeping it in the papers, I guess. As, as far yeah. as like, well, you know, know, he does have that background. It's true.
2: <laughs> it's true. Can you uh, mention anything about
0: Audible? Because this was, you know, probably the best thing that came out of Audible's podcast. I don't edition. know about What's that.
2: Great. I mean, they also had uh, It was
0: Ponzi Supernova. Yeah, but,
2: but they also had the um, the podcast Esther Perel podcast. They had some very successful shows right. from that. Of all yeah, but this but I think this true was crime the best podcast one. that they did. Yeah, and that uh, yeah. podcast division now is gone. I mean, we're not explain. It's uh, uh, There was a news report a couple weeks ago that, uh, and it was a fleeting news report that a few inside industry people caught up uh, on. Uh, especially me, it kind of perked my ears up that the entire staff of Audible's podcast division was let go. And it was issued on a Friday afternoon. I am Facebook and Twitter buddies with a bunch of people who work there. I know some of them, and they weren't saying anything, which tells me it was a very corporate affair. But who knows if they're even going to be doing original content for the podcast um, world anymore. They're going to, I think, doubling down on their audiobook market and maybe not making these investments. Um, My favorite podcast journalist, Nick Kwa, who is the only person that I know of who regularly reports in the podcast business – Did a really great piece about this, which was published in Neiman. We can post a link to that on our website, but um, it kind of tells the story of the stuff leading up to this, and that Audible is maybe no more going to be making uh, new podcast content, which is a shame.
0: So, Toby, Hmm. Amazon, profitable. (laughs) Audible, profitable. Audible podcast division, who knows? But apparently they Hmm. couldn't carry the weight, so they just had to get rid of them. (laughs)
3: If only they'd had Toby's Amazon list, they know, might have huh? survived. They
4: might have survived. <laughs> I know. Just thinking. Shot themselves in the foot. Yeah.
3: Kevin, can you please
2: read another one of these for me? True, True
0: crime, crime Podcast, podcast. Update.
2: I just want to mention briefly. Now, Toby, I know that you've been more responsive to this than the rest of us. We have been getting a heck of a lot of emails, tweets, and Facebook posts encouraging us to pick back up the threads of a podcast we reviewed a few months ago from Australia called The Teacher's Pet. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's the number one podcast in the news and politics section on Apple Podcasts right now. So I know a lot of people are listening to it. I know it's very popular in Australia. And I just want to say, I do hear you listeners, but when you start your tweets and emails with, Rebecca, I know you're going to hate the way this is edited and put together, but I really think you should give another (laughs) listen. Not really selling it. What do you think, Toby? Have you you been convinced by all the um, pleas that we have gotten to pick back up Teacher's Pet?
4: Uh, You know, I'm about to spend 13 hours in a car. Mm -hmm. So I may dedicate like two or three of those to catching up and seeing what's going on. I, I thought it was fine, I think, when we reviewed it. You know, I think I was kind of on the fence. And it kind of surprises me that it's become so popular. So I guess I, you know... I'm a little bit interested to see why.
3: What about you, Laura? Are you curious? Um, Not that curious. (laughs) I don't know. We have gotten a lot of tweets about it, but I'm like, that's going to be a lot of effort to catch up on that. Right. And I remember that it was kind of slow in the beginning, and there were some parts where I was like, it kind of dragged, but maybe it sounds like maybe there's been some new developments as a result of the podcast or something. It's I mean, people have been posting all over about this, so maybe I'll listen to a few more. I did just start listening to the Natalie Wood podcast, so I might finish that before I go back to the teachers, Pat. But all right. We'll say We'll have to talk about that yeah. one offline
2: and you can tell me what you think. Um, all right. One more little weird crime story I just want to highlight this week. Laura, uh, maybe you can tell us. A little bit about it because I know it caught my attention and, and we were, you know, kind of Facebooking about it. yes. Uh, and we're going to be talking about Stephen King in a couple minutes. Let's talk about what the hay is going on
3: with his son, Joe Hill. Want to fill us in? Joe Hill. Um, I actually saw him driving down the road today. He lives in my town. So that's why anytime he's in the news, I sort of like, oh, what's Joe Hill doing now? So the the story is that Joe Hill thinks he has found a clue in in an old cold case from 1974 on Cape Cod, a woman that was killed, and she's only known as the Lady in the Dunes. Mm. This was a case where uh, July 1974, a teenage girl was walking her dog in Provincetown and she found a naked woman that was um, pretty badly dead and uh, decomposed in the summer heat. They, they didn't dead. know. I'm sorry. That cracked me up. Sorry. I know. <laughs> I, was, like, looking. I was like, yeah, she's, yeah. Um, she's real dead. <laughs> she, was, she was definitely dead. And I'm making light um, of it,
2: but she was definitely dead.
3: She's not merely
0: dead. She's She's really really most most sincerely sincerely dead. dead.
3: Yes. Yeah. So anyway, so this woman, you know, obviously was a murder victim. She was killed by a blow to the left side of her skull, had auburn hair tied in a ponytail with a rubber barrette and pink painted toenails. But she was never... Identified. They were never able to figure out who she was. Some of the clues they had were seven gold crowns on her teeth revealed um, they felt she had New York style dentistry, but they, they couldn't figure it out. In 2010, Ooh, New York
0: style dentistry.
3: <laughs> I know. I was like, New York, whatever that is. They exhumed her body in 2010 and used that to create a composite sketch, uh, the Boston Globe ran, you know, some stories about this. Anyway, so as a result of that, there's the composite sketch of what this woman might have looked like. Enter Joe Hill, who is watching the Jaws remake um, on the big screen. Not the remake. He's watching the re-release, yes. The re-release, that's what I meant. So Joe Hill is watching the (laughs) Jaws I'm just all over the place The Jaws remake bad with puppets. wine in a can. Um, <laughs> Marionettes. And he sees a woman that's an extra in the movie and is like, holy shit, that looks just like the artist's rendering of the Lady of the Dunes. So he first, you know, put down this sort of theory he had that maybe this woman that was an extra in the movie might be the woman that was murdered on his Tumblr page back in 2015. And, you know, since then had talked to some people that worked in law enforcement that, you know, were like, hey, it's not totally crazy. There might be something to it. No, not totally. Um, well, she was in the area at the time Jaws was being filmed. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So Jaws was being filmed at the same time that this woman was, you know, same year, same time. But apparently everybody in Cape Cod was an extra in this movie right. from what I've read. So anyway, so it's been all over the news over the last week. And um going to be curious to see what comes of
2: it. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think it's really fun that it's gotten so much press. And I love the way Joe Hill, first of all, I do love Joe Hill's writing. But I, I love the way he wrote this blog, because he basically the entire time is like, you're going to think I'm fucking crazy.
1: <laughs>
3: uh, yes. Put on your tinfoil hats and buckle up for a ride to crazy town. Right. Right. He's not, he's not like Payne Lindsaying this. Like he's
2: just like, I know this is nuts. I know this is like not cool, but look at it. Like I, I apparently she's wearing the kerchief in the shot from Jaws. It looks similar to the kerchief that was found with the body. And, you know, he was able to correlate that. Where was it? Wasn't Jaws filmed on Martha's Vineyard? or in a, oh, a Nantucket I, or something? I, I forget what part. But it like got, the ferry, yeah. it was all those like ferry trips and then yeah. apparently it was a ferry some people all potentially to getting yes, on the ferry. Yes, here it so. is.
3: A third of the way through the film, which was filmed in the summer of 1974, a ferry disembarks at Martha's Vineyard. Yep. And in the crowd is the woman wearing jeans and a blue bandana. Yeah.
2: Well, that's something we're certainly going to keep following. Um, we've run into Joe Hill a
3: couple times. Remember when we chased him around that record store?
0: Yeah, you got a nice photo of him ignoring me.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, I chased him down the road today and I was like, hey, we have the same kind of car. Is he ever in
2: line in front of you waiting for the white chocolate raspberry scone at your favorite store?
3: <laughs> no. Well, I have to tell you my Joe Hill story is that, you know, when he first started writing, obviously that's he go- Joe Hill. He wanted to earn his name by his own writing, not because he was Stephen King. Son. Which, by the way, is difficult because he, like, it could
2: be, Stephen gets an identical twin yes. separated yeah. by yeah. like 30 years. So he years. had a pen name,
3: <laughs> and there was a certain restaurant and bar that I used to frequent a lot in town. And I kept seeing this guy come in, God, that guy kind of looks like Stephen King. And someone's <laughs> like, That's Stephen King's son. And I was like, Oh, but they're like, But he likes to, you know, kind of keep his anonymity, blah, 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 blah. Well, anyway. I, for the only time in my life, kept my mouth shut and the Associated Press were the ones that outed him as like living in New Hampshire and being Stephen King's son. And If you saw him, I mean, you could, you barely need to know what Stephen King looks like to look at him and know that he's Stephen King's <laughs> son.
2: It's really pretty incredible. All right. Well, uh, Laura, you stay on the Joe Hill case. We will follow you there because I'm all about I'm the tin foil hat conspiracy theory. Yeah. Um, but let's move on to our first review of the evening. Let's talk about castle rock the streaming network that brought us the handmaid's tale the feel bad hit of the spring brings us a new series that's shaking up our summers castle rock is the uber creepy tale of an unidentified inmate discovered in an abandoned part of the old prison in castle rock and of the lawyer with a haunted past returning to his hometown in maine where evil lurks
4: we got no records of you How'd you get inside this prison? Who put you down that hole?
1: What brings you home? I got a call from Shawshank. I found a kid in a cage. call from who? I don't know yet.
2: If all this sounds a whole lot like a Stephen King story, that's because it is. He and J.J. Abrams have created a mashup of characters and places and events from all of his novels in one horror-filled town. We will be talking about plot points for Castle Rock, so if you want to remain spoiler-free, you can jump to the time code in our show notes just to get our thumbs-up or thumbs-down review. First question for you, panel. I I don't know how um, familiar you all are with the Stephen King universe. But do you think that one needs to be a fan of Stephen King and his writing to enjoy the show? Toby, what do you think?
4: No. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't have a problem with Stephen King. I just haven't read very much of him. Yeah. Um, And literally, like, the only connection I've made was... Shawshank Prison and Shawshank Redemption, which mm-hmm. I have never read or seen the movie. So, <laughs> so basically coming from no knowledge whatsoever, I'm still enjoying it. So I think you're fine. All
2: right. I'm going to pause the podcast for a second, Toby, to tell you that you are the only the second adult that I've met in the last 15 or so years that admits or has told me that they have never seen the Shawshank Redemption. The first adult was... My true crime co-author and real life husband Kevin Flynn.
0: I, nice. It, it was just fucking incessant. And then he I spent, finally, okay, fine, I'll watch the fucking. But you, Shawshank but you resisted
2: for like five years because I had a life. No, be, and, <laughs> yes. but you, but you would say, and I quote, "The thing that you would say was." Well, I don't want to watch it now because there's no way it's going to be good because I've heard so much hype about it. And you keep talking about how great. No, you did.
0: All right. all right, Let's let's, let's get back. And then when you watched it, did you
2: did or did not enjoy the Shawshank Redemption? I did. Sure. It's great. (laughs) The movie's a great. It's a great film. It was. Yeah. Toby, watch the damn Shawshank Redemption and then watch the Goonies. (laughs) Oh, my God, Toby. (laughs) Laura, what do you think? Does someone need to be a fan of Stephen King in order to enjoy this show?
3: No, and I'll tell you. So I, the only Stephen King book I've ever read is The Eyes of the Dragon, which isn't really even like a typical Stephen King book. He wrote it for his children. Um, it's like a young adult book about a castle and a dragon. And um, because I'm, I'm way too chicken for anything <laughs> horror movie related. Like once in the third grade, at my first sleepover, somebody decided to watch Hellraiser and, and Jaws. Forget it. I, I never went in the ocean again after I watched that. So anything that's at all creepy, scary, horror, whatever. Um, so that's, I was hesitant to watch this, but you know what? It's um, totally appealing regardless of if you have read Stephen King or not. And I know enough about different characters and different themes in his, you know, just from being around to recognize, okay, Cujo, okay, Pat Cemetery. okay, like, you know, sissy space So it definitely, I don't think you have to be a Stephen King fan to enjoy it. And I think that they did that deliberately the way that they did it.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I'm just, I'm sorry. I just like threw my hands over the air when you said that. I just can't believe that you and Toby are so unfamiliar with the <laughs> Stephen King canon. I mean, I, Laura, also, I will confess, I'm the biggest chicken when it comes to watching scary things. Yeah. When I watch this show, I kind of have to be on my phone at the same time just so I can stay relaxed because I get really worked up when something is, has too yeah. much tension. But when I was a kid, I mean, I read up until I like graduated high school. And so, you know, up until like early 90s, I read every single Stephen mm-hmm. King book. I've still yeah, read a few, he's come out with his adults. It's unimaginable to me that you could make yep. it that you could have grown up when we
3: grew up and not read like every <laughs> And Stephen The one Kinley, you
0: read was I the Dragon Which I've
3: never even freaking heard of. <laughs> it's it's a good one. I will my son and I just did the audiobook of it last year. It's a it's a good it's a good story.
0: Did you get it at a yard sale or
3: some shit like that? <laughs> I got it on Audible. Oh. <laughs> so did you Kevin, get it on
4: a cassette? So I, can, I've seen a lot of the movies. Right. Like I've seen the shining like it's probably just, thirty. times. It's just times. too mm. scary
3: for me. It's too
2: scary. <laughs> Well, The Shining is a great example of what I want to ask you about Kevin. Uh, there is an Easter egg of The Shining. There's a
0: lot of Easter eggs. Talk about the Easter. Yeah, eggs. so you don't have to you don't have to know anything about Stephen King to watch this, but there are so many little Stephen King Easter eggs there for the fans. Mhm. Castle Rock was a is a fictional town that comes up in a lot of different books. That He also has this town of Derry. Right. Um, but they're sort of in the same multiverse. And so there are little things like when you guys flipping through papers, there's a newspaper clipping about a rabid dog. Mm-hmm. Right? And you go, oh, that's Kuja, right. right. The only like character who is from a book who we so far know is in this story is the old sheriff. Mm-hmm. He was the sheriff in the book Needful Things. Right. Which, by the way, Ed Harris played that sheriff in the movie. Right. And now it's uh, Scott Glenn, right. Who is playing him now? The, those guys were both astronauts and the right stuff, right? So, well, uh,
2: Ontario Quinn's character, the warden at the prison, uh-huh. I believe he's supposed to be. Well, did they make reference to the previous warden, it right? Was the right. Warden so there's the all Shawshank these little Redemption. things
0: there that are just like they're they're little winks, you know. Like some of the the new Star Wars movies have that, right? right. Where you don't right. have to know anything about it, but it's it's for the fans, and I think it's it's good, you know, because it does follow the Stephen King formula, which is small main town. Guys, either you know the, the the protagonist comes back home and he's is facing the the demons, which are lawyer. sometimes yep. you know psychological, and sometimes they're real demons. And I think we're getting to the point now where we're seeing seeing where this mysterious character, the prisoner, they just call him the kid,
2: mm-hmm.
0: who he is, where he's from, what his purpose is.
2: Mm-hmm. And the kid reminds me a lot of other Stephen King mysterious. Big maybe yeah. villains, you know, like Randall Flagg in uh, the, stand the Stand is, is yeah. very much a character like this, you know, larger than life.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, creepy, but you have moments where you wonder whether or not he's bad or good. Uh, another Easter egg that, that I mean, I just keep catching him over and over again. There's a scene where the kid walks into that house and basically causes this like horrible domestic violence scene just because of his presence. Mm-hmm. And the family's last name is Petri which is the family's last name from Pet Cemetery. There's like a million little things like that, tiny yeah. details. There's the girl who says her uncle- uh, Torrance, you know, yeah. Yes. Jack she, Torrance. She, she renamed herself after her uncle who went nuts in a
3: fancy hotel yeah. and killed his family. All work and no play. <laughs> but is is sort of the, the thing that could happen for the, you guys who obviously know all of these references is you're expecting this to all tie together in some way and they're just sort of thrown in there as sort of these little nuggets to kind of keep you interested, but they're not actually going to connect.
1: And They may or they're may they're not, not, yeah. It, yeah. They, they may
3: not. Yeah,
0: it's like walking through Disney World. Yeah.
2: yeah, but they but they could also be distracting. I mean, I think one of the things that Star Wars does very badly, especially you know in the newer films, is they put all mm-hmm. these things in for the fans to be like, oh, ooh, and as as somebody who's familiar with the films, oh, but isn't Hans as so exactly, it's it, it's distracting and uh, stupid. Yeah. Like it, like they do, they overdo it. Uh-huh. And I think in this show, it's done very cleverly because mm-hmm. you're sort of you know, it definitely keeps you in. Um, now, very few shows are as scary as this show sometimes is. Uh, Kevin, why do TV shows, why are they so afraid to go there and actually be uh, really scary? Why are they
0: afraid to go there? I don't <laughs> think a lot of them can. Like, I, I thought when I saw The X Files, season four of The X Files, was scary. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I've never seen a show like do this. Yeah. Like, you know, it'd be dramatic or be funny or romantic, but like to be horror and scare you. And get make you uncomfortable. I don't because I think people, I think networks think that people want they don't want to be challenged like that. They want to be entertained. To be included. To be included, right? I mean, Supernatural is a good show that is is scary. But you know, I mean, is Sleepy Hollow on Fox scary? I don't know. I, I think don't people think, say American you know, Horror Story is scary. American Horror Story. But I'm too
2: scared to watch it, so I don't okay, know.
0: Okay, right. <laughs> but I don't. It's hard to be. It's hard to do scary. Right without a lot of cheap jump cuts, but I just, uh, I think that it's a, it certainly is an acquired taste, and for those of us who appreciate it, this is, I think Castle Rock is a good example.
2: Now, Toby, you are um, really good at talking about the way stories should and shouldn't be structured and the different sort of textural layers in stories. One of the things that's interesting to me about this show is that there are those jump scares, and there's also a lot of slowly building tension, at least to me, What do you think about that combination of creepiness and the mystery and the slow burn and and the frights? Do you think that they're like hitting a successful place here? Uh,
4: Yeah, I I think I do. The show is super smooth. Like, I think it's just really well written, really well acted, really well directed. And this is, I guess this is kind of a thing that's in, I don't watch a whole lot of horror movies, but like, I think good ones, which is that you, like, you're not really sure what is going to be horrifying about it mm-hmm. until quite a ways into it. Like you get like little hints and you know, there's something going on with this kid, but really the mysteries that are at the beginning are more about the protagonists, particularly the African-American lawyer who like disappeared with his father and is, and you know, it's, it's unclear what happened when they both sort of showed up later so, yeah, I mean, I think I think they do a good job of kind of weaving a few different personal narratives going on while in the background, you kind of understand that something's going to happen and you kind of know who's going to be involved, but not really the, the what or the why.
2: There are some really scary little tableau scenes in the show. Yeah. I mean, there's <laughs> that one scene. Well, first of all, there's the scene where they find the kid, which is one of the scariest yeah. things I've seen on television, mm-hmm. like, ever. Um, there's obviously the opening scene of uh, Terry O'Quinn's suicide, which is gruesome, but in, but tastefully gruesome, right? Um, and, Laura, there is that weird fucking scene with those kids doing the mock trial wearing super scary That's masks.
3: That's so weird. That's exactly the one I was going to mention. That <laughs> scene freaked me the fuck out. I was like, what the hell is going on here? Like, and then he's like, yeah, it's me don't give up my act for the kids. And I'm like, oh, now he's just a drug dealer. It looked like they were about to sacrifice somebody. Yeah. Yeah, it was. That was
2: that was really creepy scene. It was. But then they're mixing up scenes like that with some very compelling and like interesting characters, characters of a type I haven't seen really like put together in a story before. We obviously have the death row lawyer, Henry Deaver. We have his childhood Mm -hmm. friend, Molly, who obviously plays an important role in his past and is kind of psychic and is just so well acted and so well cast Um and, you know, you have just this, like, inter- Sissy Spacek, you know, cast mm-hmm. as Henry Deaver's white mom, <laughs> which is like, okay. And she has dementia. It's a very interesting cast and a very interesting, you know, sort of combination just of, of people in the story, don't
3: you think? Yeah, I, I think that's what, if you know, for me about this, this show is so fascinating is that there's all these characters that have what you can tell are really interesting backstories that are just slowly being revealed. Like, you you know, there's some sort of connection between Henry Deaver and his friend, the psychic, where she is somehow linked to him for some reason. There's some link to her possibly in his father's death. Uh, so there's a lot of, well, <laughs> I think, but, but then you're like, well, is that, you know, her doing that? Is that her channeling him? Was he channeling the devil before the kid in the cage was channeling the devil? I mean, there's all these, like, mysteries surrounding the people that are involved. And I think, for me, that's what's... But they're... You know, this isn't just, like, a a normal backstory of somebody in a show or somebody in a book. And everyone has these really bizarre, twisted, creepy backstories. And I can't wait to see how they all end up being tied together. Because I feel like there's definitely some connection and that that's I think what you're being led to believe there's some connection between all of these people I love the psychic with her sunglasses and she has to wear the sunglasses all the time and <laughs> <laughs> you know, reminds me of little kids when they used to be afraid to go out and they'd be like, just wear your sunglasses. No one can see you, you but, know. But but she's also like a community
2: development uh, yeah. organizer
3: who <laughs> wants to revitalize
4: the main street of
2: friggin Castle I like her, her little diorama. That's right. Uh, Toby, what, what do you think of the characters in the show and, and the way they mix together?
4: Uh, for the most part, I like them. I think like I think making Molly a, a psychic was a mistake. It seems like a way of making the plot kind of move along mm-hmm. in certain instances. Especially when she, you know, she kind of intuits that there's something terrible with the kid and it seems like a narrative device when nobody else is sort of like, you've got this one sort of bad supernatural being in the kid and then there's nothing, there's nobody else. Although Sissy Spacek has feelings about things, I guess. Mm. So I I thought that was kind of a misstep. Mm. I don't know why they did that.
2: Well, Henry Deaver also hears things, right? I mean, we also have his, yeah. like, whatever he got the brain scan situation
4: for. I don't know. There's just some weird stuff that, like, they bring that guy out of prison who they have no idea, like, who he is or what he did or anything. It's like, oh, well, why does why he just stay on a mattress in my office? <laughs> but I won't I won't leave a note for anybody when they come in. Like, there's some guy who just got out of prison for what, like, we have no idea why he was in there. And he's upstairs. So instead of like lying on the bed, so he can approach you naked, <laughs> uh, you know, maybe, oh, maybe a big maybe naked just, scene. So there's there was just like little weird, weird things like that where I was like, really, yeah. like why is that? But for the most part, you know, I, these are just like quibbles because mm. I think it's I think it's super entertaining, mm. and I look forward to to watching it uh, every Wednesday.
3: You've also got that guy, the weird guy that just got revealed in the house out in the woods.
2: Oh yeah, yes, the guy, the the, the barber. <laughs>
3: Yeah. <laughs> the random barber surrounded
2: yeah, by Joe. out in the woods. Yeah. Um, I'm not open today. Just kidding. Kevin, uh, performances in the show. You have Andre Holland as Henry Deaver. You've got mm. Sissy Spacek. You've got, as you mentioned, Scott Glenn. And you've got this very interesting casting choice of Bill Skarsgård as the kid. What do you think?
0: My, he He's actually been playing Pennywise the Clown. Yes. In the, re, the reboot of It. Yes. Uh, which uh, part two of it is is being filmed now I guess.
2: Which I'll never see because I would never see part one because
3: I read that book and it's too scary if That's to watch. It's my favorite Stephen King book. It's, I think yeah, it's
0: probably my favorite book. I'm I'm very scared King to watch film.
3: that movie. I'm I'm too scared too, Rebecca.
0: <laughs> but he, he's very he has such great expressions on his face and can really pull off the I'm not speaking but I'm still being an actor yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. The face acting. But I am just puzzled As to whether or not this is just a coincidental casting choice. Oh, okay. That he's so good. Or is he there because this character is somehow related to Pennywise the Clown and it's completely deliberate?
2: Well, you know who he is related to in real life. The Alexander Skarsgard yes. from True Blood and Big Little Lies. Yeah. They're brothers.
0: When he makes that sad face, oh, the, yeah. huh? you could see, oh, I could see his brother has the same one. <laughs> they both do that.
2: Yeah, those Skarsgards, uh, they're comfortable taking their clothes but off. But look at Sad
0: Face. <laughs> um, the, the actor plays Henry Deaver, Andre Holland. Yes. I think also just has just like, is just like, emotes so well. He's terrific. He's just, I mean, because his character is in, in, gets disappointed in a lot of different ways. Yeah. I, I can't keep, take my eyes off him. I think he's doing a really great job.
2: Yes. And I think that the premise of how these all these adult characters came together is really interesting. And I'll just say the one thing I'm really glad that they didn't do in this show that is in almost every Stephen King book like this, where there are, um, You know, there's some sort of bigger thing happening and it's in one of these main towns. They're not doing the flashback, flash forward, flashback, flash forward thing where we see all of these characters as kids together. Uh We only see Henry and Molly together. As kids, and you know Stephen King does love his big gang of kids.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That's like a trope that you always see, and there's always the one kid who's super mean and a bully, need and, a bully. And they've they've kind of let go of those like way too familiar Stephen King things, and just kept the good parts in, like the relationship stuff. So. Uh, well, it sounds like we may have gotten a preview of what this review is going to sound like. But let's just go around the horn and uh, let our audience know,
3: should they check out Castle Rock on Hulu? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. Thumbs up or thumbs down for Castle Rock? I would say two thumbs up. This is, uh, even though, like I said, not something I would typically watch. Probably my favorite thing that I've watched probably this year. I mean, it's it's really good. It's, it's addictive. I can't wait for Wednesday. What about you, Toby? Thumbs up or
2: thumbs down for Castle Rock on Hulu?
4: Yeah, I give it a thumbs up as well.
2: Yeah, I'm going to give Castle Rock a, a big old thumbs up. I was skeptical. I thought it was going to be another one of these like fanboy, you know, too reverent looks at a familiar genre that sometimes some of these like J.J. Abrams things can turn into but I'm loving it. It's a lot deeper and a lot more interesting and a lot cooler than I thought it would be. Kevin, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Castle Rock? I'm
0: also thumbs up. I love uh, seeing it on Wednesday. I, You know, I kind of wish that instead of doing the week to week on Hulu, um, that this was more of a Netflix binge where they all come out at once because I could definitely see taking a, a rainy weekend and just going through all these. But uh, as a Stephen King fan, I really like all this stuff. It, it I can't stop watching and I can't stop covering my eyes. Yeah, and that's why I want to talk about simple contacts. <laughs> simple contacts okay. is the most convenient way to renew your contact lens prescription and reorder your brand of contacts from anywhere in just minutes. So, so, all you need basically is your smartphone, right? And ten feet of space,
2: right? And if you have a contact lens prescription already. You can renew it using this app with an eye test that gets checked over by the eye professionals at Simple Contacts, and you can reorder. Yeah, a real, a
0: real licensed doctor. Yes. This, this, the app doesn't like
2: no do this it's for a you, doctor. But
0: it right, but it'll it'll tell you ten feet away. Mm-hmm. If you're not ten feet, it won't you know it won't let you do it. I know. And I
2: tried to trick it; it didn't work.
0: <laughs> and it makes it so easy to get your contact lenses now, Rebecca. Right here. Are these your contact lenses? Those
2: are my contact lenses. They're very specific to me.
0: Are these the actual brand? Are these like a knockoff brand? Oh, no. They're my actual
2: contact actual lenses. Actual
0: contact. Yes. Did you get these from Simple Contacts? I did. Did you get a giant freaking box of these?
2: I got a year's, a year's worth. worth.
0: Yeah. <laughs> a year's worth. Because A, it's, it's a very good price. B, before this, did you ever go to the store to get the... Uh, the, no, the, I always the, send you. Yeah, I know. You send me <laughs> to go pick up your goddamn contact lenses.
2: You work near the place. <laughs> I, I, But
0: I don't have to do that now. with no. simple contact.
2: Show up at the house.
0: Yeah, now remember, this isn't a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. You still need those occasionally, but this is the most convenient way to renew a prescription and reorder your contacts if your vision hasn't changed. That Vision Test is only $20, and standard shipping is free. They have all kinds of brands and types of lenses. They sure do. Mine
2: are very specific, and they have them.
0: Yeah, yeah. You'll never have to shop around again. Get $20 off your first order of contacts. Go to simplecontacts.com slash... C-W-O-20. CWO20 or enter code CWO20 at checkout. That's simplecontacts.com/slash CWO20 or enter CWO20 at checkout for twenty dollars off your first order.
2: What else you got, Kevin?
0: Well, when we were away this week, we stayed in a five-star hotel. We did. Oh, no, it's right. We didn't. It just felt that way because we were sleeping on Brooklyn and Sheets. That's
2: right.
0: (laughs) Named the winner of the best online betting category by Good Housekeeping. Brooklyn is the fastest growing betting brand in the world with over 20,000 five-star reviews. That's a lot. We all have Brooklyn and Sheets, don't we, guys? We do. Is there anybody here dissatisfied with their Brooklyn and Sheets?
4: (laughs) Fully satisfied. Uh, No.
0: (laughs) Fully satisfied. They're fantastic. So Brooklyn, it takes that five-star hotel quality. She brings it into your everyday life. She does. She does. Did I say something? Yeah, like Jonathan. The, oh, okay. It's adorable. Yeah, well, they're eliminating that middleman, and that's how they keep things personal—from design to manufacturing to customer service and beyond. That's right. They are the most comfortable sheets. I've ever slept on. Brooklinen.com is giving an exclusive offer for our listeners. You get $20 off and free shipping when you use the promo code CWO at Brooklinen.com. They're so sure that you're going to love those sheets that they're going to offer a 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all of their sheets and comforters. So the only way, though, to get $20 off and the free shipping is to use our promo code CWO at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Promo code CWO. Brooklinen, these are the best sheets ever. Ever. Ever.
2: All right, moving on. Slate has returned with the sophomore installment of one of last year's best podcasts. Season two of Slow Burn has dropped. Unlike what might have seemed like the distant past of Watergate, this time, Leon Nafok looks at what led up to the impeachment of Bill Clinton.
0: How much do you know about the scandal that got Bill Clinton impeached?
1: Monica Lewinsky is under the microscope, Bill Clinton is under siege, and the White House is trying to contain the damage.
0: Maybe but you know the basics that Clinton's presidency came to a screeching halt amid a storm of accusations involving sex, power, and partisan warfare. But if you're like most people, you only have a grasp on the vague outlines of what happened. I did
3: not
4: have sexual relations with that
3: woman. This vast right-wing conspiracy.
0: You're not sure how it all goes together. A real estate deal years ago in Arkansas has somehow wound up dealing with the president's sex life. Or why things broke the way they did. If it turns out to be true, it could be the end of Clinton's presidency. His presidency is over. He'll have to resign within a month or
4: two. Congress is rushing to overthrow the commander-in-chief. This is surreal.
2: As with season one, the podcast plays it down the middle, not sugarcoating the flaws of Bill Clinton or his political enemies. Instead, it tells the story of the building crisis and how it affected the lives of the scandals supporting characters and perhaps gives us some insight into things that we didn't know about the impeachment saga. Although you do know how this one turns out, we're going to be giving spoilers on episodes one and two. If you want to skip our conversation with spoilers, just jump to the time code provided in the show notes to get our thumbs up or thumbs down review. Of Slow Burn Season Two. First of all, thanks to the folks at Slate for giving us preview episodes of this podcast because we knew we wanted to review it. Yep. And uh, technically, as we're taping this, episode two hasn't dropped yet, but it will have dropped by the time it comes out. Uh, let's just talk about the production of this podcast. I think that audio mixing wise, audio quality wise, levels wise, smoothness wise, Slow Burn is, for me, one of the best produced shows, simple, straightforward, we've listened to on this podcast. Do you agree? Yes. Do you think that uh, Leon's use of interview tape is effective? He sort of weaves like these historical characters in, but he talks to some in real life. He uses some tape of others, kind of goes back in time. Do you think that's a good mix to sort of give the context but also bring us into the now? Yes. Okay. Is this this how you would answer if you'd been (laughs) Monica Lewinsky in that hotel room? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now, Toby, uh, the podcast promises that the Clinton impeachment saga was way crazier than we remember. Um, Do we need to hear that? Or do you think that people our age remember it being pretty freaking crazy?
4: I remember it being pretty freaking crazy. (laughs) So the thing is, is that it's a it's a long and they kind of get into that a little bit in the first couple episodes. I mean, it's a long story. Like, by the time they get to Monica Lewinsky, they've gone through a lot of stuff. Because it starts off, and I think it was episode two, they, they talk about the Whitewater, quote-unquote, scandal, which would kind of force Clinton's hand to get an independent uh, counsel to look into it. And so it starts there, and it just—there it, were so many steps along the way, and so many sort of bizarre characters who were involved— you know, it started off with the first guy, Robert Fisk, is that mm-hmm. right? Yep, yep, Fisk, yep. And then goes to Kenneth Starr. And they really just had free reign to, like, just follow wherever, you know, the whim took them.
2: Right. It wasn't like the, the Mueller investigation, which has been really narrowed to some specific things, right?
4: Right. Yeah, it was just, you know, because— The whole Monica Lewinsky thing, I mean, that, you know, it has absolutely nothing to do with Whitewater, which is where the thing started. Right. So, yeah, my memory is that it was it was pretty freaking crazy. I guess Leon Nafok was 11 when it happened or something. (laughs) So maybe it didn't seem that crazy.
2: Now, let's talk about episode one. We get this take on the FBI's and the special investigators for the special prosecutorial team trying to put the what is the word the brace
0: the brace on
2: Monica Lewinsky it goes through her being set up by her non-friend Linda Tripp who I think Nafok very just pointedly points out is the villain in in this story (laughs) um and uh how she was then taken to this hotel room how then they were waiting for a really long time for her mom to arrive, so they went to the mall. Um, (laughs) Laura, I came home from listening to episode one. I walked my dogs in the morning and listened, and I told Kevin, I woke him up to tell him, I had my Brichter scale moment listening to episode (laughs) one of this podcast. Oh, good. I was yelling into my non-listening headphones, and I was saying, ask for a lawyer, Monica. But mostly (laughs) I was yelling at the way these men were treating this very young woman. What did you think about this story and the way they treated Monica?
3: You know, what I took away from this, I guess I didn't realize at the time that this was all unfolding how badly she was treated by the authorities. And how I felt like they really tried to take advantage of her. You know, she's young. She's, I mean, yes, you know, she's not that young. She was older than I recall. I, I feel like I thought she was younger than she was at the time. She was 24, which is pretty young. Yeah, pretty young. But just, you know, the way that they really just were on her, they kept her in the room, I mean, hours and hours in the room. And then finally, like, this is what, what struck me as her being just young and somewhat naive, She doesn't ask for a lawyer. She asks for her mother. Yeah. My takeaway was, like, this poor girl, and I think I said this to Ken after I listened to it, I'm like, she's basically been, like, slut-shamed, you know, continuously since this happened. And what was she going to do? Yeah. So I I didn't have as big a Brichter scale moment, but I'm glad that the uh, phenomenon is spreading, Rebecca. Yeah. Now...
2: There was a comment on our Facebook page, people discussing this podcast, and it kind of guessed it's something I want to talk about. Because, Kevin, you were you put the bullet point on the script, like, does Nafok let Monica off too easy? What do you think about that before I um <laughs> have a your scale moment?
0: I, I don't know. <laughs> um, i say he goes easy on her. You know, I mean, I think that he definitely makes the case that she had been victimized, that she had been vilified uh, both at the time and by history. You know, but you know, certainly seeing that he uh, has an unsentimental view of all the other characters in it. Um, he so far, and I mean, Monica Lewinsky is going to come back, but he so far has kind of let her go uh, unscathed from that.
4: Well, I just wonder if this was put out like a year ago, before the whole Me Too movement, whether the attitude would be somewhat different. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's appropriate the way. He's addressing her because this is one of the things that, like, I didn't completely forget about it, but I had to remember, like, how just, like, out of bounds, especially older men were in talking about her Mm -hmm. when this was going on. And, I, I, you know, I put on social media, but, like, Don Imus would make these jokes about, you know, fat girl jokes about her Mm -hmm. and stuff and and slut jokes about her. And she was – there's a lot of young people in D.C., so she was there when I was there. I left I left DC in August of '97, and this stuff really hit like January of '98. So I was gone for about five six months. When I went back to visit a buddy of mine, we were kind of talking about this stuff, and he was like, "Oh yeah, like I, I met Monica Lewinsky on a at a party right before this whole thing blew up, and you know I talked to her for a couple hours." And she was just like totally normal, was like any other woman that you know we would hang out with. For for her to understand, like a the whole sort of proximity to the president and him being sort of a, a sleaze bag as far as his his uh, relations with women went, and then just the whole thing is that young people in D.C. have got a lot of access to a lot of stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: You know, I it's part of it's part of the D.C. thing. That somebody like Monica Lewinsky would have a- access to the president, but you know, again, she's twenty four years old. She's like more or less just kind of a normal person who just suddenly gets hung up in this thing, which must have seemed to her like a like a bad dream.
2: Right. I, I agree with everything you said, Toby. But I want to add to it because I did see somebody comment on our Facebook page, and I did say I would address this. For anyone out there who says that Monica Lewinsky is at fault for this, for having an affair with a married man, someone she knew was married, and carrying on clandestinely and yada, 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 I say no. No, 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 no. I agree. The power differential between the president of the United States and a recent college grad who was an intern working at the White House does not make it a 50-50 proposition for this relationship. It just does not. And you can pretend... Men and women out there of Gen X and older and uh, older millennial ages. That when you were 24 or 23 or 22 or 25 or 26, that you never did anything like this or had the kind of relationship as we hear Monica had where she was basically obsessed with him. Talked to her mom about him. Talked to her friend at work about him. Like it wasn't a secret people in her life. She was doing this because she, she was kind of obsessed in the way that young people get mm-hmm. in relationships. That relationship was not 50-50. That was the president of the United States, a man in his 40s, having a—it can can almost barely be called consensual relationship when you have that kind of power differential. Yeah,
0: and I don't think at the time that we recognized that dynamic. That dynamic is now more recognized in the mainstream um, about, you know, the boss has more power over, you know, a subordinate, and here we have— the ultimate boss. Yes. And I can't think of anybody who, you know, would be a, you know, more lowly employee than an intern. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I, th- I, th- I think at the time we didn't appreciate that.
2: Well, I did. And I'll tell you, uh, I've always related really well to Monica Lewinsky. She's about the same age as I am. I think she's a year younger than I am. She also has a very big head of hair, which I always related to. <laughs> uh, she wore that stupid beret. I wore a stupid beret in the 90s as well. I so admired her that uh, you may know, not know this, Kevin, but she had a line of handbags that came out after all this happened. Yep. And she was uh, selling her handbags. My, my, my sister saw her in the Henry Bendel's uh, elevator in New York. And my sister, so new of my admiration and and being able to relate to Monica Lewinsky that she said to her, Hey, you're Monica Lewinsky. I just want to let you know, my younger sister, like, has always said she really relates to you. And Monica Lewinsky said to her, I hear that all the time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> which is like my favorite like what you know and Monica Lewinsky has liked a couple of my tweets which has been very exciting to me all right well let's let's move on and talk a little bit more about the story um, episode one does talk about that brace of Lewinsky and, and really does unpack the way she was treated and we have one character Bruce Udolph who was one of the prosecutors who was in that room with her who Leon Nafok talks to today and he talks really sensitively about how much he regrets having been involved in this and you know what was done to Monica that day.
1: I mean,
4: I went up there fully expecting to investigate the president's involvement or alleged involvement in a real estate deal that had failed. Basically a white collar investigation. And this is not necessarily something I signed up for. And It's not something that I feel terribly good about.
2: Laura. what do you think about hearing this, you know, retrospective voice here? Somebody who was right in the thick of it uh, saying this was terrible. This isn't
3: something we should have done. I loved it um, because, you know, I don't think you often hear people take responsibility for being involved in something like this. And he seemed very sincere and he seemed like he really didn't like to revisit thinking about this because it was so upsetting to him so at least you know you know you don't hear somebody who's like still holding on to this belief that they treated her fairly and properly like this is somebody who actually recognized in hindsight yeah we shouldn't have done that yeah like there was no no female investigators around we're not going to wait for one we're just going to go in with the male investigators and that's the way it's going to be it was nice to hear somebody actually accept responsibility
2: yeah Now, Toby, uh, episode two of Slow Burn, we kind of get the larger picture, or at least we start to see the larger picture of the Clintons as figures who, when they arrived in Washington, uh, rightly or wrongly, I mean, I think that that the podcast is sort of laying out the culture they brought with them and how it didn't fit with the culture that existed at the time, how they suddenly became embroiled in scandal and were targeted. And we hear about... The very famous story that conspiracy theorists, even to this day, love to talk about, the suicide of Vince Foster. We also hear an explanation, by the way, a quasi-cogent explanation of Whitewater, a scandal which I'll admit I never really understood. Toby, what would you think of episode two?
4: Yeah, I, I mean, I thought it was good. I guess I was expecting something a little different based on season one, which seemed to be these little sort of side stories that... Like, even if you knew quite a bit about Watergate, you wouldn't necessarily know about. So then this being sort of, at least so far, kind of a straightforward, you know, sort of explanation of what happened, you know, was not not what I was expecting. That being said, you know, I think it's interesting, you know, some of the choices he makes about what he's going to emphasize and what he's not going to emphasize, at least so far, and who knows what's going to happen in in upcoming episodes, maybe it's just teasing things. You know, living in DC at the time and working for a magazine that covered Congress and being fairly immersed in this stuff, it felt differently then than the way it sort of come across just Mm -hmm. in the weight that different things were given. Yeah. That's kind of my take on it. If I was putting it together, I would emphasize some other things. But again, it's like we're, we're two episodes in, so I don't know if he's going to go back and, and talk about other stuff in greater detail.
2: Yeah. Now, Kevin, unlike with the Watergate story, in which just a couple of the, of the people in the story were still alive, um a lot of people involved in this story are not only still alive, but they're also still part of our political landscape.
1: Right. Like, yep. in kind
2: of a big way. Um yeah, sure. And some of these same narratives still come out today when people talk about the Clintons. People still talk about Vince Foster. People still talk about Monica Lewinsky and, and, and Whitewater. Do you think this story can be told in a way that isn't partisan when you're actually unpacking what happened then, but so many of these people are still active in politics?
0: I think they're trying to do that. You know, Slow burn season one was, I think, just far enough in the distant past that while we're all on either team Republican or Team Democrat, generally speaking, that it wasn't about I have to root for my side on this. It, it, the way it was presented, you are just sort of comfortably going along with the story and wasn't this interesting. Um, I, I think it might be harder because, you know, the Clinton name is still very active. And it is, and he made this point in the first episode, we can trace a lot of our modern hyper-partisan culture to the Clinton era. Right. Um, Some
2: would say all of our hyper-partisan modern culture. The rise of Newt Gingrich, the rise of the blocking the Democrat in office or blocking yeah, the... Yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, right. Yeah. See,
0: so um, I think it's easier for the um, producer to put it out in a a political way than it is for us as an audience to hear it apolitically.
2: Right. I mean, I would argue that you know the rise of Matt Drudge and the rise of the conspiracy theory around the Vince Foster suicide is really the birth of the kind of outside fringe media that like third layer of media that we see now with Alex Jones and you know all these crazy broadcasters like broadcasting on the web. Like I feel like it was born in this era.
0: Maybe what that'll you- be
4: a side story. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a whole like Richard Mellon Scaife, who is I I think it's Mellon money, but he he owned a newspaper in Pittsburgh or something. Anyway, he's got tons of dough, and he was basically financing super conservative kind of muckrakers. send them down to Little Rock to to dig up dirt, you know, and if they didn't dig up dirt to like find threads that they could make something out of, and so there was you know there was a well funded effort made to try and take him down through this media stuff. And there, and there are things, you know, it is a wide range of things kind of like came out slash were made up. And you had like Paula Jones, which seems likely to have been an actual thing where he sexually assaulted her. I don't think she was a, a willing participant in his advances. From that to stuff that was obviously like batshit insane, like a list of people who... Clinton supposedly had killed or killed himself. Yeah. That was like really, really long stuff about Mina airport in Arkansas and smuggling drugs. I mean, th- so there was this whole Hillary Clinton was kind of mocked for saying there's this vast right-wing conspiracy against us. Maybe her wording wasn't well, but there was a well-funded effort to use journalism and sort of quasi journalism to try and dig up as much dirt as possible, and that's what happened with the whole Vince Foster thing. Yeah, was it was a pretty straightforward suicide. A, a guy sat next to at work at Congressional Quarterly was working for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette at the time and was on the scene and, mm. and you know saw the body and stuff. And he's just like the stuff that people talk about about the conspiracy about how there wasn't enough blood that the body's moved. He's like it's just all bullshit. Yeah,
2: yeah. You know, I was there. Yeah, it's funny that, you know, it seems so quaint when she said vast right wing conspiracy at the time. It was sort of a shocking thing for her to say. And yet when she ran for president in 2016, there was that Pizzagate scandal, which really picks up this thread and is just a continuation of it, except in new media and online. It's really interesting. I'm interested to see where the podcast goes. Of course, we're only two episodes in. So why don't we do that thing that we do and let our listeners know if they should check it out. Uh, Laura Bricker, I'm going to ask you to give your thumbs up or thumbs down review so far to Slow Burn
3: Season 2. Um, this is definite thumbs up. i definitely going to keep listening. And, uh, you know, it's good to pick up little things I don't remember, um, things more in detail, little side stories. And uh, also for me, it's nice to actually finally listen to one of these that happened while I remember that, like, when I was living through it. Yeah. So that, that's, that's kind of nice. So I would say, absolutely. It's just well done. Toby but what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down so far for Slow Burn Season Two?
4: So I, I give it a thumbs up. I, it, it's interesting. My only, I'm sort, I'm sort of giving it with the presumption that he's going to start going into, into other stuff with a, in a little more detail because mm-hmm. so far there hasn't really been too much that has been new. Uh, that I've heard uh, that I didn't know before maybe a few of the details but you know I'll, I'll definitely listen I'm sure I'll listen to all of them
2: yeah I'm gonna give it a big thumbs up I'm a huge fan of this podcast as you know great example of the storytelling I love was that trip with the FBI agents to Creighton Barrel and the investigators <laughs> uh <laughs> I really want to know, like, what products they were looking at and talking about in that store. Like, what jokes was Monica Lewinsky making when she was down there trying to lighten the mood? I thought those kinds of details were really rich and fantastic. And as I said before, this uh, show was flawlessly produced and beautifully written and well-delivered. And I'm just a huge fan. I look forward to listening to it more. Maybe we'll even uh, catch up on it at some point. In a few weeks. So huge thumbs up for me. What about you, Kevin?
0: I am definitely a thumbs up. Uh, I really do like the Slow Burn podcast. I don't like a slow burn, though, when I'm cooking my Blue Apron. (laughs) Oh, no. Right now, I can just skip all that meal planning and get straight to cooking when a Blue Apron package shows up at my door quick, easy. Insanely tasty. We
2: eat a lot of Blue Apron in this house. As you know, we have for years.
0: <laughs> yeah. We were an early adopter of Blue Very Apron. early adopter. You know what I like is happening right now um, for the summer is that they a lot of the recipes uh, are also good on the grill. Yes. So you can still cook them on the stove, but some you have an option where you can... Because I love to grill. Yes. And then sort of like <laughs> the only... Sometimes I'm looking at you know the Blue Aprons that come in, I'm like, damn, these are some really great meals, but... Uh, I guess you know. Just I won't have to go get any propane because I'm going to be cooking all these yeah. wonderful meals inside. I, you know, we had uh, great. We, we had cheeseburgers. Yep. Uh, we had some chicken yep. that was prepared on the grill for for uh, uh, you know for a larger dish. It's you know it's really great. They've been teaming up with other partners like Master Chef, Bob's Burgers, Chrissy Teigen. Some really great meals, right? Yeah,
2: Pritchett Teagan's meals were great.
0: Yeah, you know, you, you got to check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free at blueapron.com slash crime writers. Crime writers. Matter of fact, get the app. It's great. You can pick what, you know, what recipes. They're going to send you their selections, but they've got other things. You yeah. can say, I only want two this week. I want this one. You can also choose between two-person and four-person meals yep. within the same pe- delivery. If you go
2: away, you can skip a delivery. It's super easy.
0: Yeah, but you don't want to go away.
2: That's
0: <laughs> true. That's blueapron.com slash crime writers to get your first three meals free. Blue Apron, a better way to cook.
2: What else you got, Kevin?
0: Well, what goes better with a great meal than a great glass of wine? True. But what is the kind of wine that you will like, and not just the one with the most pretty label? Fortified wine. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Cabernet. <laughs>
0: It's not the wine that comes in a can. Oh, like the crap Laura's been drinking? No. (laughs) So you can have Laura tell you what crappy wine is, or you can go to our friends over at First Leaf. They'll tell you what good wine is. That's right. First Leaf is the only wine club tailored to you, so the more you taste and rate, the better they customize your box. It's algorithmic. It's algorithmic. It's like (laughs) math and science for your mouth. That's right. (laughs) And your glass. And your tongue. At First Leaf, we'll even create a limited-time offer, introductory three-pack of wine based on your flavor profile. It's just easy. Go on, click, click, click to ask a couple questions about yeah. what you like. Boom. You get some great wine. You tell them which ones you like best. You'll get more wines like that.
2: better and better.
0: Yeah. The best part is you're going to get all three of those first wines for just $5 each. Each of these wines go for like 20 bucks a piece. So That's a good deal. With First Leaf, you never have to worry about spending money on a bad bottle of wine because even if on the slight chance you don't like if that it's vibe. not your favorite and they guarantee your, your wine and they will give you your money back so try first leaf wine club today we're buying great wine is simple sign up with our link and you'll get an exclusive intro offer it's three bottles of wine for only 15 dollars plus free shipping that's not all if you rate these three wines, you'll get an extra $10 off your next box. Nice. So go to tryfirstleaf.com slash crime. Crime. That's try, T-R-Y, tryfirstleaf.com slash crime.
2: Three bottles of wine for 15 bucks? I know. You can't even get that at a gas station.
0: It's hard, it's like if I couldn't read this, I wouldn't believe my eyes.
2: <laughs> but it's a good wine. What else you got, Kevin?
0: Well, you know, uh, a lot of us have never heard of digital eye strain, but chances are we have experienced it. Definitely. It's things like you get like migraines and dry eyes and, and eye fatigue, and it happens a lot at work because a lot of us are using computers all day long. Or
2: like me, you spontaneously start crying, your eyes just start tearing because you forgot to blink. It happens. <laughs> what? Looking you at forget the screen, to blink? Looking at the screen, yeah, it's, eye st- it's
0: digital oh eye fatigue. Oh my God. All right, Rebecca, here's, here's what you need. I can't believe I haven't given this to you yet. A pair of... Of Felix Gray computer glasses.
2: How do I look? I think it look great. Sexy, right? Sexy librarian podcaster.
0: Oh well, you know, they're very stylish (laughs) glasses, yes. They're made from premium Italian acetate. But what they're great for is that they're designed to filter blue light and eliminate the glare from screens, which are those two main culprits behind digital eye strain. So I like them, I wear them at work. They're not goggles. Yeah. They look like Fancy glasses. Fancy glasses. No one knows any different except for the fact that they're all blinking and scratching their eyes. Right. And you're still fresh as a daisy. Everyone can benefit from wearing a pair of Felix Gray's. Great gift
2: for your teenager heading off to college. Yes or no?
0: <gasps> yes. And there's no <laughs> prescription necessary. All orders ship free with free returns. You've got nothing to lose. Go to Glasses.com slash crime. Crime. Try a pair of Felix Grey glasses today. That's Felix Grey. Gray's G-R-A-Y. Gray, G-R-A-Y. Glasses.com slash crime.
2: Now it's time for my favorite part of this podcast. A little something I like to call... The crime of the week. week. Police in Yakima, Washington had to come to the rescue of a superhero. Last week, someone smashed a window of a vacant storefront to get into the comic book store next door. Authorities say he allegedly left with a six foot tall plush Spider-Man doll that was the centerpiece (laughs) of the store's collectibles section. It didn't take Spidey sense to find the culprit. Investigators say witnesses saw the suspect walking down the street carrying the 60-pound figure over his shoulder. They arrested him at the Brews and Cues bar where he and the life-sized web slinger were drinking together. He was drinking
0: with the, with the doll.
2: Yes. Okay. Spidey has since been returned to his owner. So, panel, here's my question for you. We should have known that your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man made a good drinking buddy. But what does this superhero do when he's had too much to drink? What do you think, Laura Bricker? I
3: think he uh, nets up some women. (laughs) uh, (laughs) You know, little sticky uh, spider nets.
0: Oh, I hope those are nets.
3: What about you, Toby?
2: What do you think Spider-Man does when he's had too much to drink?
4: His spidey sense isn't the only thing that's tingling. (laughs) 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 Uh.
2: Kevin Flynn, what do you think that Spider-Man does when he's had too much to drink?
0: Uh, I think he starts singing that unicorn song. What? Like the Irish tenors, you know. Oh, God. There were green alligators, alligators and, long and long neckies. Long <laughs> geese. Some Humpty Back camels and some chimpanzees. Yeah. Some cats and rats and elephants. As sure as you're born, you're never going to the see them. oh, lovely saw was a unicorn.
2: Nice. Uh, I wow. think you guys Mr. Like, Mr layup here. He's going to have a little web of the dog. Come on.
1: Oh. oh. With
2: great intoxication comes great, great. responsibility. <laughs> 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 All right, Laura Brigger, before we end the
3: show this week, do we have a cat of the week? Uh, we are doing a favor for our crime writers on Listener who tweeted out to us, Dominique the cat got spooked at a rest stop north of Utica, New York no, and no. slipped out of his harness and fled into the thick underbrush, much like Maura Murray. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh. um, I'm just kidding. Anyway, so people in Utica, New York area, keep an eye out for Dominique. And he—they we're trying to get the tweet to go viral. The tweet is at Zoe S. Todd, mm-hmm. Dr. Fish Philosopher. Dominique is a gray cat. He looks very nice, so I hope he is found, so we can report back next week. So our cat of the week is missing.
2: Is that our what? cat of the
3: week is missing? Our cat of the week could be a crime of the week, but I'm hoping it's
2: not. I hope it's not as well. All mm-hmm. right, Laura Bricker. If people want to send you their more, um, I don't know, less Uplifting? dire yes. <laughs> cats of the week suggestions, <laughs> how can they find you on Twitter?
3: At Laura Bricker
2: and tell you all people want to reach out to you and talk to you about all your time in Washington DC and all your buddies who had access to the halls of power How can they find you online?
4: At Toby Ball NH.
2: And Kevin Flynn, people want to reach out to you and tell you how handsome you are? How can they find you on Twitter?
0: Oh,
4: they always can do that
0: at Kevin P. Flynn.
2: And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you to join the amazing community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. We also have a regular old Facebook page, by the way. Go to our website and sign up for our newsletter. Kevin has been sending out a whole bunch of those lately. Thanks, Kevin. you welcome. You can support the show on Patreon, and you will get access to the Balls Deep Dive Book Club podcast. Just go to patreon.com slash partnersincrimemedia. Get a free month on Stitcher Premium when you go to stitcherpremium.com crime and use the code CRIME. Our theme song was performed by the New York Scott Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. This show is recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our basement, where, lordy, there are tapes. There are tapes! On behalf of all the crime writers,
3: thanks so much for listening. We will catch you... Catch you later. Later. My tip of the day, I don't recommend this new wine that comes in a can like beer.
1: Mm. (laughs) It's kind of
3: nasty. Listen,
2: if God meant wine to be in a can, he would have put vineyards in Milwaukee. That's all I got to say. That's true. That's true. I have to retake that sentence. I can hear you yawning loud as day, and we're on the same track. So just do me a favor. If you're going to yawn, like put your head that way, okay? All right. right. That's fine. And this week- (laughs) Yaw!
1: In crime, crime
0: media. Don't be a victim of digital eye strain. Protect your eyes with a pair of Felix Gray glasses. Their lenses are designed to filter blue light and eliminate glare from screens without the telltale yellow tint of other computer glasses. Try a pair of Felix Gray glasses today at felixgrayglasses.com slash crime. That's felixgrayglasses.com
1: slash crime. Crime.